Veterans Day. I enjoy Veterans Day and seeing all the men in uniform. You know, if you're on social media, you get to see uh, all the pictures of uh, current soldiers and previous soldiers uh, in their uniforms, and just it's it stirs up uh, it stirs up your nationalism, right? You think about all those people that came before and all those people that died and and all those people that served and all those people that did what they did so that you and I could have a great life, a life that uh, from a national standpoint is characterized by one word, freedom. We love our freedoms, don't we? We love the idea of having a freedom from tyranny and a freedom from oppression and we value people who serve and who come behind us and uh, and have done all of the things to preserve those freedoms. It's almost like there's there's something that uh, something I guess we could say is pretty Christian about that. Uh, after all, the, uh, the scriptures say a lot about freedom and a lot about the importance of freedom. Uh, but scripture also uh, talks about some other things as well. And uh, so t- today's sermon is going to be a little complicated. Uh, it kind of touches on some, uh, some volatile issues. And as we live on mission and we think about how our, our, our nation was founded, as we think about governing authorities over us, you know, we're kind of left with this, with this question. As we live on mission for God, how do we relate to government? Man, that's a loaded question, is it not? As I said a little while ago, uh, you know, throughout Romans, there's some kind of awkward topics, right? Uh, there's topics of sexuality and homosexuality. There's topics, a major, just huge theological topics like election and predestination. But I don't know if there's any other more volatile topic that we could talk about today uh, than those that are related to the scripture verses that we're going to read in Romans chapter 13. And some would say, uh, well, we, how we relate to government, well, it really depends. Well, it really just, really just kind of depends. I mean, is the government good or is the government evil? Do I like the people in power or do I not like the people in power? And so this kind of makes our disposition towards government kind of change and ebb and flow depending on who might be governing over us. And so I wonder if there are universal principles that we could find in Scripture that would apply to all people of all times under all governments. I wonder if I wonder if there's something that Scripture gives us that we could latch onto. A command that would be given to say first century Christians under pagan Roman rule, but also principles that would apply to 21st century Christians under a democratic rule. I wonder if there are principles that Christians who maybe live under socialist governments or under communist governments or even oppressive governments, I wonder if there's things that we could read in Scripture that would be a universal principle that any Christian of any time period in any nation could read. And I believe that Romans chapter 13 contains such principles. And I fear that it will make us a little bit uncomfortable. And we could all debate the application of some of the things that we're going to read. And I'm going to be very careful in my application today. I'm going to, I'm going to allow you to pray and let the Holy Spirit kind of show you the application that needs to, be happen, uh, needs to happen for you uh, when it comes to these verses. I'm going to dabble in that a little bit. Um, 
But we really can't debate meaning. I mean, there really is only one meaning of Bible verses. There's not multiple meanings of Bible verses. There's only one meaning of a Bible verse, but there can be multiple applications. And so today, uh, may the grass wither and may the flowers fall, but may the word of the Lord stand forever. So I want to ask you to stand with me as we read Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 7. Quite possibly some verses that maybe we wish weren't in the Bible. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those that have existed have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who, those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you, have no, you, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor, to whom honor is owed. Awkward sermon alert. Father, today we give you glory for your word. God, we can't claim some portions and not claim others. And so today, God, I pray that you just teach us. Teach us from your word about how we are to live as Christians in every realm of life. Help us, Lord Jesus. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, it's so funny. Uh, last night as I was kind of getting prepared for this sermon and I was talking to, to Kelly about it and then later in the evening before I went to bed, she said, I hope I hear a good sermon tomorrow and don't leave church mad. I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> you might... You might, you might want to go to First Baptist tomorrow then, or, or the river, or someplace else. I don't know what's going to happen, uh, but we'll, we'll just, uh, we'll just kind of see. Now listen, I grew up amidst a, amidst a generation of rebellious people. I mean, we grew up watching movies like The Outsiders. We grew up watching movies like, um, what was that movie, uh, Young Guns. Oh, and let's not forget Red Dawn, Wolverines, right? That's my generation. I mean, we have this rebellious spirit, rebellion and disobedience to authority, I think was just in our generational DNA. I mean, my flesh compels me to be a nonconformist and to resist the control of others. But that's the unregenerate me. 
you know, when Jesus changed me, and I believe he's still working on me, I believe there's different rules, different principles that we live by. Submission. Man, that's a difficult word, isn't it? And I don't think it really matters what area of life that we apply it to. It's just a difficult, awkward word for us. But actually, the Bible uses it a lot to a lot of people and to in a lot of instances. Here's a few for you that you've probably heard me preach on some of these verses before. Uh, wives are taught to be told in Scripture to be submissive to their husbands, children to parents, slaves to their masters. Um, people who are younger to those who are older, and even people who are in churches to be submissive to their leaders. I mean, these are just, these are just awkward Bible verses. And really and truly, any time that the Bible talks about submission, it kind of goes against our human nature. And when we're talking about submission to the governing authorities, it makes it especially awkward considering the, volun the, the I guess, just the, uh, the volatileness of our time. But in case you wonder whether or not the Bible only talks about submission to authorities in the passage that I just read, here's another couple of passages for you. In Titus chapter 3, verse 1, uh, the Bible says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. I believe I have that for the screen. There it is. Uh, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And then also in 1 Peter chapter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor. Do you know who the emperor was during the time? Nero, who was one of the biggest persecutors of Christians in the history of the Roman Empire. And says, whether to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Christians, we are called and we are commanded to walk in submission in a lot of areas of life. When it comes to family and marriage and church and work and government, there's always going to be somebody who is set over us that we have to submit to. We can't get around to it. And for those of you who grew up like me, who have a rules don't apply to me mentality, now come on, where you at? I know you're here. Uh, if the fact that you can even confess it uh, is, is a start in the right direction, right? You know, confession's good for the soul. Um, there's some of us that kind of feel that way. They see a rule and they're like, oh, that's for all those people. That's not really for me, right? That doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. Uh, but what we see here in Scripture is that everyone is called to submission. Everyone. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 1 uh, says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Every person. I mean, now these are big commands. Be subject. Don't resist. These are, th these are some pretty straightforward statements. To whom would this command not apply? All right, let's, let's ask that question. To whom would this command not apply? Who could say, these rules don't apply to me, these commands don't apply to me, this scripture does not apply to me? Who would be able to claim an exemption to that? I think, you know, before we jump to any kind of conclusions, we ought to ask ourselves, who wrote this? To whom did they write it? 
and what form of governing authority were they under? Well, first off, we know that the Apostle Paul wrote this, and uh, we know a lot about the Apostle Paul. We know a lot about how the Apostle Paul interacted with authority. He uh, interacted with, with, with authorities, people who were in authority over him. We see stories of him going from city to city and uh, trying to plant churches and interacting with different governing authorities. In the book of Acts, we see him interact with Felix and with Festus and with Agrippa and with Ananias, the high priest who had him punched in the face. We see his interactions in the book of Acts with all of these people and the attitude and the demeanor in which he interacted with them. We also know uh, that the people that he is writing to, the emperor that is over Paul at the time, the emperor that is over the Roman Christians in Rome, by the way, Rome, Romans, those are Roman Christians that Paul's writing to. Um, Nero was the emperor over them. Do you know within five years of the time that this was written, from within five years from the time that Paul wrote this and these Christians at Rome received this letter, within five years there was a massive fire in Rome. You can read about it. Just, just, just go ahead and Google uh, at some time if you want to. Uh, Great fire of Rome. And it will give you the date of that fire. Nero blamed it on Christians. He blamed it on Christians even though he knew Christians didn't do it. And although Christians had been persecuted long before the writing of this, uh, after this fire, they had to go underground. They had to have worship service in catacombs, even sometimes even burying their own dead in some of these underground places. They were severely persecuted. The Roman government was a pagan government. They required people to actually burn incense and worship the emperor, and if you didn't do it, you were under the penalty of death. And by the way, a lot of Christians chose death rather than to worship the emperor. You're saying, wait, wait just a minute, Is it that I thought we were supposed to be subject. I'll get there in a minute. I believe if the Roman Christians couldn't claim an exemption, then none of us can. None of us could say, well, this doesn't apply to me if the Roman Christians themselves who received this writing, who lived underneath the emperor, if they couldn't claim an exemption to it, I don't, believe, I don't believe that we could either. You know, I don't believe that Jesus was exempt from submission. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Who killed him? That same Roman government. Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He received capital punishment from under the hand of the Roman. Now why are we called to this? What, why in a general sense are we called to submission to authorities? And this is, this is 
laid out very clearly in Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 2, and also verse 6. Authority is instituted and appointed by God. Authority in general, the fact that it exists, the fact that there are governments, the fact that there are human institutions, the fact that there is a, if you want to call it, a hierarchy of authority in the world, the fact that it's there is by God's design. Uh, look what the scripture says right here. It says there's no authority except from God. This means that really and truly only God has inherent authority. He is the only one that possesses authority in and of himself. It's not given to him or delegated to him in any way. Um, but it says those that exist, meaning the, the, uh, the, authorita the authoritative structures that are out there, and I think that we could even say the certain people that are over a lot of these institutions are there because they have been instituted by God, they have been appointed by God, and Scripture goes even so far to say that they are God's servant they are servants of God. They are ministers of God. They are carrying out the will of God, or at least they should be. Now listen, we know there can be bad husbands out there. We know that there can be bad employers out there. We know there can be bad governors and bad presidents. There can be bad pastors. There can be bad leaders. But that does not negate the fact that God has structured and ordered the world in such a way that these people are there. And I'm just going to tell you, this is the only thing that brings me comfort. The only thing that brings me comfort is the fact that God's in control of all of this. I mean, it brings me no comfort for someone to be in power... And God being up in heaven, throwing up his hands, going, oh, we gave it our best shot. That doesn't bring me any comfort thinking about, well, God, he, he could have done something about it, but he didn't. Or he wasn't able to do something about it. I, that's even worse. The only thing that gives me comfort is that God is in control of this world. And he's in control of everything that happens and takes place here. And you say, well, wait a minute now, what about pagan authority? Y'all remember that guy Pharaoh? In the Old Testament? I mean, the scripture clearly says, as a matter of fact, God says to Pharaoh, He says, I raised you up. In other words, I put you, I'm the one that puts you in this position. Y'all remember those evil, horrible, terrible, marauding armies called the Assyrians and the Babylonians? I mean, open your Bibles and read. These are people that conquered God's people, and God said, He raised them up for certain purposes, and not just about these, but about all types of people. See, Daniel chapter 2, verse 21 says he changes times and seasons. He removes kings, and he sets up kings. I just, I just have to believe that God is in control of the ballot box. That's, that's the only thing that gives me comfort. Whenever things just seem like they're going terribly awry, I just have to believe that some way God is in control. And I believe that this is how Jesus felt. In fact, in John chapter 19, verse 10 through 11, he had an interesting conversation with a guy named Pilate, who was a governing authority over him. And in John chapter 19, verse 10 through 11, Pilate said to him, 
will you not speak with me? In other words, he, he, wasn't, even, he wasn't even talking to Pilate. I mean, no, okay, here's my flesh, right? You got me in handcuffs, uh, you know, and I'm not supposed to be there, and you're unjust. And I'm Jesus, I'm the all-powerful of the whole universe from whom all authority flows. You know what I'm going to be saying? Here's, here's what I'm going to be saying. You don't know who you're messing with. Right? You don't know who you're messing with. You just wait. I'm coming back on a white horse with an army from heaven. I'm going to be driving an F-150 through the sky, me and all my redneck buddies. You just wait. It's happening. Go on, pilot. Do what you want to do. We don't, see, we don't see Jesus with that, kind of, with, the, with that kind of attitude. He says, will you not speak with me? He said, don't you know I have authority? Look what Jesus says. He said, he said I have authority to crucify you. Jesus answered him. He said, you wouldn't have authority at all over me unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus says this to a, to a pagan ruler. He says, you wouldn't even be where you are. You wouldn't be over me where you are. You wouldn't be about to do to me what you're about to do to me. You would have no authority if it wasn't given to you. I am amazed. I am amazed at Jesus' demeanor of submission in these moments because I believe that his submission, listen, I believe that his submission to Roman execution was an extension of his submission to God's will. Because he saw the world as consisting of something different than political regimes. He saw, he saw something totally different and I believe this is why he didn't fight the Romans who had invaded his homeland and because he served a different kingdom. John chapter 18, verse 33. Look what he said. This conversation with Pilate again. Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Hey, look, are you the king of the Jews or what? Jesus said, Well, did you say that of your own accord or did others say that? Pilate answered, He said, Look, he said, Am I a Jew? He said, your nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? He said something about Jesus' own nation. And what did Jesus say? Jesus made a distinction. He said, look, my kingdom, my kingdom, it's not of this world. It's not, of, it's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. In, in other words, he's saying, listen, if this is just about national politics, if this is just about who's in control and who's not in control, if this is just about whether or not the Romans have authority or if Jews have authority over their own homeland or who's in charge or who's whatever in the world, if it was just about that, then my servants would be loading their guns and they would be storming the castle and, uh, and they would be fighting that I might not be delivered. He said, but you know what? He said, there's, there's something so much bigger that's going on. And you and I know it. You and I see it. You and I have read about it. You and I know that the, the issue of the cross and everything that was happening and taking place was something bigger. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Listen, do you think there's something going on in this world that is bigger than we see? 
Maybe what we see on the news and what we read about, maybe, maybe there's something bigger going on. Maybe God has a plan for his kingdom that we can't quite see because Jesus' disciples, they couldn't, they couldn't see all this. Oh, if we would just, man, what if we could see the happenings in our world in the same way that Jesus saw all the happenings in his world? You see, lack of submission is, lack of submission is sinful. That's just what the Bible says. Y'all know I didn't write this stuff, right? Some, sometimes, I, sometimes I feel like i got to make it clear because... When people don't like stuff on the screen, and I, just, I didn't write it. Look, it says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. You see that? And those who resist will incur judgment, and not just temporal judgment. There is this idea that we could face God's wrath if we don't learn to live within the authoritative structures that are over us. You see, the Bible doesn't just command us to be submissive. The Bible commands us not to resist. Now listen, I know that just sounds, I mean, you're, you, we're just thinking in our minds as Americans, we're, what? And so here's the question. At what point do we have the right to resist? Oh, and I know some of you are like, okay, yes. Now he's going to tell me, yes, tell me, tell me, when can, when can I resist, when can I resist? I know what y'all are thinking. I'm going to go out on a limb, all right? I'm going to go out on a limb. I hope I don't cut it off behind me. I'm going to go out on a limb and not everything that, I don't know that everything that I'm about to say in the next few moments that I could truly say, thus saith the Lord. But I do believe that these are some statements that I believe, I believe are wise based upon the counsel of Scripture. I don't know that disagreement is a reason to revolt. Disagreement. I mean, after all, I mean, I can, I can find disagreement all the time. And if it is just, well, I just, agree, I just disagree with you, so I'm going to try to cast off all the authority that's over me. I don't know that we see that. I don't think that we can throw tea in a harbor and forge a new nation every time we just disagree. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know that we can do that. I don't know that suffering is automatically a reason to revolt. It could be, but it might, it might not be automatic. I mean, I can claim suffering and disagreement, and I can, I can claim that kind of stuff pretty easy. Injustice could be, could be a reason to revolt. I want to I point to some examples from history that I think were providential. Uh, the first would be the Hebrews in Egypt, right? I mean, the greatest slave rebellion that the world has ever known is recorded in the book of Exodus. I mean, it really is. But God did it. God did it. The people lived under submission and under subjection. Of course, in that situation, they really didn't have any choice. They'd just kill you and go throw you in the Nile. Um, but God did something amazing um, and, and delivered his people. Here's another one, uh, the Protestant Reformation. Uh, I, I, the Protestant Reformation was like this, this revolt to church authority and 
and, and the, root, the governing authorities, which at that time was blended together, and it was unright and it was unjust. And I, I, this is just my opinion. I do believe there was something providential about our revolutionary war in our nation's history. But in all of these, in all of these examples, and we probably, we probably could point to more, in all of these examples, resistance wasn't the first response, it was the last resort. After years and years and years of living under a system and seeking reforms and grievances, it wasn't like this first response. And I think, I think that's the problem that we run into as Christians. Whenever it's just resistance is just like, a, it's just like our first response. Well, I disagree. Or you're, no, no, no. I mean, just this, this first response. I think that is the problem. I do not believe that submission to authority does not mean that it is sinful to seek change and to seek reform. I will never accept as just the killing of babies in the womb. I will never accept that. I will always support um, any type of lawful reform that would bring about the ending of this in our country. And I think that we should do whatever we can do to see that justice is done. But we, listen, Christians, we've got to do it with the right heart. Should we be outraged at that? I believe that we should, but we still have to do it with the right heart. Submission also, I don't believe, means that you should never remove yourself from up under an authority that you, if, that you have a choice to. Listen, if, if you don't like your homeowners association, you can go buy a different house. I mean, you, you, re you really can. Um, if you don't like your employer, we live in a country where you can quit. I mean, you can stop working at your employer and you can go someplace else. If you don't like your mayor, if you don't like your governor, I mean, you, can, you, can, you, have, you have the right to move. But I just want to caution you, keep in mind that you might not like the next one either. And things can always change. And it almost, it almost, seems, it almost seems to be easier to say, I'm going to have a general attitude and disposition of understanding that God is in control of this world, that I'm called to be submissive to the authorities, and I'm going to seek to live peaceful and quiet lives, pray for those that are over me, and there may be periods of time when there is such injustice that is just unconscionable to us that we feel like that we say, I need to remove myself from up under this particular authority. I don't believe that it's unjust. But here's where I believe I can return to saying, thus saith the Lord. I believe this next statement to be 100% undebatable. Obedience to God's word is always a reason to revolt. Let me cite some examples for you. Acts, I, I won't have these for the screen. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Um, the apostles were called into the courts and said, don't preach Jesus anymore. And they said to them, and I believe that, I believe that Peter and John made this statement with as humble of a spirit as they knew how. They said, you be the judge whether we should obey God or man. I don't believe they were like, uh-huh, we'll do whatever we, I don't, I, don't, I don't think they had that attitude towards them. I think they just, they just said, we can't help 
but speak what we have seen and heard. You judge whether or not it's okay for us to obey God or whether to obey man. Here's another example. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? There was a decree that was made, hey, you can't pray to any other God. He's like, I'm just going to keep doing what I was doing. I'm going I'm to keep praying. The, 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 uh, the, the, uh, uh, the apostles in Acts, they keep preaching Jesus. Daniel in the lion's den, he keeps praying. There's nobody can tell you you can't pray. Anybody tells you you can't pray, you can pray. You may face a consequence, but you absolutely can talk to God. Early Christians historically were required to burn incense to the emperor. And they submitted themselves to death rather than submitting themselves to worship a false god and to violate their conscience in such a way. See, no one has the authority over our relationship with Jesus. If the government says you can't have church anymore, we're going to have church. We're going to find a way to do it. I'm, 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 we're not, we're not going to be mean and rebellious and horrible about it, but we're, we're going to worship and we're going to spread the gospel you know that we do this all over the globe. You know, we seek to plant churches and to deploy missionaries in countries where it's illegal. Not because, not because we want to break the law and because we want to be unsubmissive, but because we believe that God's law and God's commands are exalted above all the earth. And, and we must go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus didn't say, go make disciples of all nations except nations that pass laws against Christianity. You just you got to follow those laws, and you got to do that. But no, Jesus said, "Go make disciples of all nations." No one has authority over our relationship with Jesus. No one can tell us that we can't follow a command that Jesus has told us explicitly in His Word to follow. And so, basically, what we see at the end of this passage is give what is owed. Give what is owed. Romans thirteen six through seven. <laughs> it's an awkward way to end a sermon, isn't it? pay taxes I mean who likes reading that in the Bible not me pay your taxes give what is owed if you owe revenue or respect or honor I believe that every governing official listen every governing official deserves a measure of respect I mean they're human beings right I mean we may disagree Listen, there's a lot of people I disagree with. I mean, there's a lot. Don't even get me started. <laughs> um, but there is a measure of respect that, that, that we are owed to them. I mean, I, I look at some of these verses, and I, I think about how difficult a job like a police officer has. Man, unless I am just being treated incredibly unjust, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to obey a police officer. Um, I may object, um, and I think it's the same way with, with all of the authorities that are around us. We owe a measure of respect. We should pray for them. The Bible tells us to pray. Those politicians that you don't like, you know, there's, there's images and names that are coming to your mind right now. All those, those people that you don't like, the Bible tells us to do what we did before and, and to pray for them. We have so much to be thankful for. The people who originally had to follow the command of Scripture, those Roman Christians, oh man, they were so persecuted. They were burned at the stake. They were, they were put in the arena and lit on fire like torches. They were fed to lions. 
I mean, they lived over an they lived under an incredibly oppressive government. I believe that we have one of the greatest nations that has ever existed. I believe that our form of government more accurately represents on paper what we should have as, as comes out of Scripture. We have so much to be thankful for, and we should be thankful, and, and we, should, uh, we, we should pray for people. So, I, I, as awkward, I mean, as awkward as, isn't that awkward? I mean, to see that the Bible tells you to pay taxes and give honor and, and, and things like that. The person that we owe the most honor to is God. The person that we owe the most submission to is Jesus as Savior. And I find in my own life, whenever I'm doing that really, really well, that I'm able to recognize and to submit to other earthly authorities that God has set up and instituted among man. And so really it's about having a hard attitude and a submission towards Jesus as Lord. Um, and I don't know where you are today. Maybe you've never truly submitted your life to Jesus as Lord. That's, that's the starting point. That's the starting point. Submission to authority begins with submission to the ultimate authority, who really is the only one with inherent authority, and it's submission to Jesus as Lord. If that's never happened in your life, I hope, I hope that today could be the day for you. And maybe we just need to spend some time in prayer. And so in just a moment, we're going to bow our heads, we're going to close our eyes, and um, maybe you need to call on Jesus today and be saved. And maybe there's, maybe there's something else going on in your life. Maybe, maybe this, this rebellion, this, you know, we have a natural rebellion, all human beings. We naturally rebel against God. Our human nature naturally rebels against God as the authority over us. And maybe you've lived your life that way. Maybe you've lived your life in rebellion against God. Listen, I don't care who else you're submissive to in this life. I don't care what other authority you are submissive to in this life. If you are rebelling against God and against His Word, if you're not submissive to Him as Lord, then things will never be right. That's the first thing that we need to get right in our life. Full and absolute, complete and total surrender and submission to Jesus. But if you're a believer here today and that's already happened in your life, maybe there's something else going on. Maybe you just have a fighting spirit over something that you just don't really need to be fighting over today. And uh, let's just spend some time praying about that. So let's everybody just bow our heads and close our eyes. And you spend a few moments just praying.